I just want everyone to take note, I was waiting for the scripture reader today. (laughs) It is good to be here this morning, as I had mentioned in Bible class. uh, This is lesson six in a 48-hour time period, and I'm okay with that, but four of those lessons were in 40 and 50 degree wet weather. And I say all that so... I'm going from teaching now to preaching. If I squeal a little bit, I hope I don't hurt your ears, but I just want you to understand uh, not the intended purpose there. The retreat is going very well. The last number I had heard, there was over 175 people there at the retreat and uh, greatly encouraged by all the young people from near and far that are, are being a part of it. And I hadn't had a chance to talk to a brother Steve yet, but uh, I learned very quickly how great a recruiting opportunity for the school here. And uh, not, not guaranteed signed on the dotted line yet, but potentially five more students within the next year, two years, uh, just going around and, and promote, not, not me either, just all of us working together to promote the school. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. Because when someone is hearing about the school, oh, that's Marine Boot Camp. Some of the students right now probably could attest to that a little bit. And there are people still wanting to come. That means there's people that are still wanting to learn. And so thank you to each and every one of us. Sometimes uh, we don't forget about the work, but uh, it's kind of something separate. And it goes on day to day here at this building. And it's because of us working together and the elders' foresight to make that possible. Also, one more thing I want to mention, and we'll get into the lesson, and that is that uh, a lot of times uh, we put on the students to make sure that they interact with the congregation because we're all family here. And that is a good thing, and teaching them what lies ahead and what they choose. But I also want to encourage each of us, if you have not uh, done so, we was first or second year students, to reach out and get to know them. Most of them are good folks. You can ask me after services, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. They're wonderful, and it is a privilege, uh, and I, I still continue in, in enjoying every, every minute of it. All right. Well, let's get into the lesson this morning. And what if I came to you after services and I said, you know what? Before you go home and eat lunch or take your nap or whatever it is that you have assigned for the day, I need you to stay here at the building. Uh, We have some painting to do upstairs and we have some furniture to move around and there's several things that just need our attention and we've all got to go to work tomorrow so we're just going to stay here this afternoon and take care of these matters. How many of y'all would get all excited about that? Oh, I I don't know anyone that gets excited about painting a wall. But what I'm getting at is, what am I doing? I'm making a a calling out for some commitment here, something that needs to be addressed. And I know it's a hypothetical or, or being a little bit ridiculous there. But in essence, spiritually speaking, Jesus has made a call for commitment. And you say, well, I'm here this morning. What is that? commitment that Jesus is asking for. That's what we're going to learn about in John chapter 6 this morning. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. 
Every congregation, every Christian faces challenges. It's, it's going to happen. Let me make that a little, sedate that a little different. We face difficult times. It's just a given. Things are going to be up. Things are going to be down. During those times, I have never met an eldership, elders. I have never met men who were doing all they could to try and make sure that work fails. Does that make sense? In other words, they're doing everything they can to keep it alive. Maybe it's a congregation that is struggling to stay together. Maybe it's a congregation that has shrunk. New souls are not being added to the church. And so whatever has been budgeted over the years is having to change. Can you imagine being an elder in the Lord's church and having to go to someone involved in a good work and tell them, we can't do it anymore. That has to be heart-wrenching. And I know I'm just talking about a financial thing, but you can apply it to anything that you want. I've always known uh, elders to, to work as hard as they can to get back up on that mountain and to make it a success. That continued growth, that continued work that is needed to overcome the trials in this life. Well, in John chapter 6, here is Jesus, and he seems to be doing all that he can to drive people as far away possible from him as is uh, humanly so. And you say, that doesn't make sense. Jesus died for all of humanity. Well, you know, we're always trying to find a successful enlargement campaign. But we're going to see here this morning that Jesus was running a successful ensmallment campaign. People were leaving him in droves, and we'll see that. As a matter of fact, the chapter begins out begins with over 5,000 people following Jesus. By the time we reach the end of the chapter, don't fret. We're not going to cover the whole chapter this morning. But by the end of the chapter, there are only 12, and technically one of them is not even following Jesus. How do you go in, in just a short amount of time from over 5,000? To 11 folks. What in the world happens in John chapter 6 that this would take place? If Jesus is doing anything in our verses, and we'll be covering verses 60 through 71 this morning, he is issuing a call to commitment. And that's why we have the shrinkage, the reduction in numbers here. He wants people to be committed. And his commitment, uh, his call for commitment has a twofold outcome. Number one, it clarifies his call, his mission for those to follow him. He tells them what is expected of them. And number two, and this is interesting, and Jesus' call for commitment from his disciples, it purifies the ranks of his disciples. It's going to weed out those who are not genuinely committed to the cause of Christ. He is clearly stating the truth about himself and his work. And we see thousands of people turn away from him. After the crowds leave in verse 66, Jesus immediately turns to his disciples in verse 67, these 12, and says to them, Will ye also go away? 
It's what we're going to run with this morning. And that's the question I want us to be asking ourselves as we go through this lesson. Will I also, will Matthew Gibson also go away when I hear the truth that Jesus has proclaimed? This morning, I do not know if everyone in here is a Christian, but it doesn't matter if you are or you are not. We still need to be answering this question. Now, if we're not a Christian, there obviously a certain set path, God's plan of salvation needs to be obeyed. If we are a Christian, it may be various aspects of your Christian life where this question needs to be asked. Friends, we are living in an hour when people are walking away from the things of God. And alarming rates. Now, this should not surprise us. Oh, it discourages us, but it should not be a shock to us. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3 speaks of a falling away. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Since chills up my back. Imagine standing before the Almighty in the day of judgment, and he's saying, Matt, you had a form of godliness, but you denied the power. No, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. That tells me, the Bible tells me, there's a lot of people calling on the Lord. I believe you, God. I love you, God. But there's some things that they're denying in their lives. And Jesus says it cannot be that way. I am asking for complete and total commitment. And so this morning, are you, am I totally committed? You ever exhaust yourself? You ever shed tears? You ever think of any possible way that you could reach a person with the gospel? Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle. I have a dad right now who turned 71 on January 1st, New Year's baby. And I've been trying for several years to reach him with the gospel. He lies in an apartment this morning dying of cancer on lots of drugs, enough that would make an elephant numb for a week just to be able to survive. He's thought about spiritual things, but anytime a spiritual discussion comes up regarding the Bible, he quickly turns it away. The Seabirds requested our prayers a couple of weeks ago for his sister, not only the physical, but her spiritual well-being. What I'm saying is we probably all know someone that is close to us in that situation or someday will be. And we would do anything. Shed tears, offer prayers teach, evangelize, to reach them with the gospel. Well, why do people walk away? Why do people not listen? This is what we're going to deal with. This is the verse, these verses and what they're going to cover. So we're going to look at three things. Number one, not everyone can live the truth. Number two, everyone lives in a glass house. You thought it was just a preacher, huh? We're going to learn this morning, everyone lives in a glass house. And number three, every faithful follower lives the truth. Maybe not quite alliterated. Students will point that out to me later, I'm sure, and that's okay. But these are the things that we want to look at. Not everyone can live the truth. Everyone lives in a glass house, and every faithful follower lives the truth. Not everyone can live the truth. Verses 60 through 66. So let's read that together. John chapter 6 Beginning in verse 60. 
Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is a spirit that makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Verse 64, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Not everyone can live the truth. The fact of the matter is, while not everyone walks away from the Lord, many do. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 talks about this wide gate and there's going to be many that find it and it's going to lead to their destruction. It's a sad state of affairs. But why is this? If we take this passage as the answer to this question, it becomes very clear that not everyone can live according to the truth. Now, it's because they choose that. We realize that. But let's look at this a little further. As this chapter unfolds, remember... Thousands of people are following Jesus and now hardly anyone. It becomes increasingly clear. Doubt, suspicion, (coughs) hostility are mounting against the Lord. You see, these people wanted to make him an earthly king who's going to go and defeat the enemies and they're going to live the good life. The fancy house and cars and all the things of this world. As a matter of fact, these people wanted to make him king after they, he had fed them. Look at verse 15 of this chapter. They want nothing more to do with him after they hear his message in verses 26 up to what we read here this morning. Why the change? What caused this great change and not everyone can live the truth? Well, I'm just going to make mention of these. In verse 29, Jesus claimed to be the way of salvation. In verse 32, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. In verse 35, and then it picks up again in verse 49, he claims that he is both superior to Moses and the manna that was given. In verses 35 and following, he says that salvation was a matter of faith, not heritage. And then in verse 44, that apart from God's intervention, in verse 65, as we read, they could not believe. Brethren and friends, when the truth is revealed to us, when it is made known to us, there are only two possible reactions. No surprises, nothing complicated here. We either receive it or we reject it. This morning, which one are we doing? Receiving or rejecting? The people receive the truth when they see it for what it is. Well, what is it, Matt? The truth. Again, there's nothing hard here in what Jesus is saying. We say, well, you read somewhere in there that says this is a hard saying. It's hard because they don't want to hear the message of commitment. They, want, they don't want to hear the message of just whom Jesus is, the Son of God, knowing now that he sits at the right hand of God. Now, people reject the truth for many reasons. I want to point out just uh, several of them. Some people reject the truth because they obscure it. Nicodemus thought that Jesus was talking about gynecology, if you will, when he was actually speaking of a new birth. The woman at the well thought Jesus was talking about plumbing when he was actually talking about himself as the water of life. The man at the pool of Bethsa thought Jesus was talking about a rescue mission when Jesus was actually talking about having faith 
in him, that is Jesus. And this trend continues today. Unfortunately, there are people that are baptized without ever being saved. What do I mean by that? That is, the word of God is so offensive to them, they may be going and getting wet, but they never make a total commitment to God Almighty. They misunderstand the truth, and as a result, they reject the truth. Not everyone can live the truth because they reject it. Some people are opposed to the truth. So first one is obscure. Second one is they are opposed. As Jesus reveals himself in this chapter and his demands in this passage, the Jews are growing more and more furious. They are in constant increasing opposition. Look at 41 and 42. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I came down from heaven? And verse 52, then the Jews therefore strove among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then in verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard, said this was a hard saying. The Jews were not able to accept the deity nor Jesus impending death. That's not what happens to a king. That just was a humiliation to them. They opposed him at every turn, and so it is today. Many are opposed to the truths of the Bible and the claims of Jesus. It is all or nothing with God Almighty. His call to commitment goes against their desire for what they want to do. They have some things that they don't want to get rid of. They have some things they need to add to. And so they find themselves in opposition to the Lord, the claims of the gospel, the cross, the blood of, uh, of Jesus are designed to be offensive to those who reject it. Wait, did, did I hear you right? Not that God wants them to be offended, but those who reject it will be offended. Some people are oblivious to the truth. So you remember I mentioned my dad a while ago. Why don't some people respond when we've poured forth everything that we can? The third one, oblivious. All the way through this passage is the Jews had this approach to Jesus. They said, show us and we will believe. Does that sound reasonable to us this morning? Does that sound like a reasonable request? Jesus, you show us and we will believe. Brethren, here's the problem. Our Lord had already fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. They had already surmised that he somehow had miraculously made it across the lake. And then they have the audacity to say, show us and we will believe. When he made his claims and issued his call to commitment, they started coming up with these statements. They were unable to see the truth because they were blind. That is why many people, um, get it out here, reject the truth and embrace a lie today. They don't want anything else. Then number four, we rise some don't, is because they want the experience and not the expectation. What is meant by that? These people were following Jesus because he had satisfied their fleshly appetites. That's verses 1 through 15. You look in verse 34, and they wanted more of the same. Then they said unto him, Lord, eat evermore, give us this bread. In fact, they wanted to prove That he was greater than Moses. And that's the discussion in verses 22 through 31 of this chapter. They were looking for something that satisfied their flesh. 
and made them feel good about themselves. Brethren, they were wanting an experience. They were wanting what we call today sensationalism. They wanted to be following the next king. They wanted miracles. But when Jesus began to talk about his expectations, what he expected of them, and issued that call for commitment, they turned away from him and walked away. Why? They wanted to be carried away in the excitement of the moment with no commitment. The same mentality exists today. Tragically, it even exists in the Lord's church as well to some degree by some of our brethren. There are many today who want a religious experience but without expectations. They want to serve God for what they can get out of it without any concern for His glory or His will. They want to serve God for what they can get out of it defined by their terms and not the Bible. Brethren, it's time that we get back to the Bible and stick with the Bible and nothing else but the Bible if we want heaven. Now, that's not a blanket statement to all of us saying that we're all messed up here this morning. That is an encouraging statement. At least I hope you will see it that way to stay the course. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Folks today want entertainment and they want excitement. And they do not want any commitment. The churches growing the fastest today, do you know who those are? They are the churches, I mean religious bodies, if you will, who minimize biblical doctrine. Like the requirements of salvation. Hearing God's word, believing in God, repenting of our sins, confessing our Lord, being immersed in that watery grave. To wash away the old man, become a babe, a new creature in Christ. People are are arguing with the organization of the church, church government, elders and, and deacons. No, that's not what the Bible says or means. They emphasize entertainment and experience. Today, if you want a faithful following in a religious sense and succeed in this country, here are the things you need. Number one, a contemporary band. Number two, a message that challenges no one's life. They can continue to live that wretched life that they are living. And don't say anything to them about it. Number three, a youth program that will babysit the children while the parents live that wretched life. And if you will put those things together, oh, and by the way, Make sure that the preacher is lulling to sleep the parents with touchy-feely sermons and nothing of substance. And you will grow a group of people. And you will have money. And you will have a fancy church building. And you will have all those things that are going to send you straight to a devil's hell. And I don't mean that in any ugly way. But that's doing it man's way and not God's way. Brethren, how important is this to us? Are we truly committed to this book? Study to show yourself approved unto God. A worman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because you see, in the end, it's not going to be that new fandangled man's way church is going to save souls. It's going to be each of us standing before the Almighty. The one that created us with the good book open. And our lives are going to be compared to what he has taught in his word. And he will say, yea or nay. And an entrance to heaven. 
Christ is calling for commitment and the people will have nothing to do with it. People who walk away from the things of God, people who want to do it their way, brethren, are selfish. Now, they're not going to like that. And if uh, somehow I'm stepping on your toes, not my intention, but somehow it's bothering you a little bit, I'm not trying to be ugly. But when we want to do it our way and not take the scripture for what it says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's not what that means. That's selfish. That's telling God, I have a better way. I know what you mean, God. When it is what it is, it is what it says. We don't need to make it complicated. They're concerned about themselves. Imagine the disciples. So here they are following Jesus. Here are over 5,000 people. And by the end of the chapter, it's down to the dozen. You think that has an impact on their lives? You better believe it does. When you have that kind of walking away, that kind of rejection, it's going to adversely affect you. And again, we have to be able to conquer. Not everyone can handle the truth. It's going to be tough sometimes. Anyone here have family that is in a marriage relationship that is unscriptural? Anyone here have friends that are no longer faithful to God? And the Bible has prescribed ways to deal with those folks. It can be tough sometimes. Sometimes the truth makes demands upon our lives. Sometimes it's brutal. Sometimes we just wonder what is going on here. But the truth is always true. It is always right. It is always perfect. But not everyone can handle the truth. Can you? Can myself? John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What does that say? Unless you go through Jesus, you have no access to God. And the Bible teaches that we must come into contact with that precious blood if we want access to God. Are you committed to the cause of Christ? Number two is seen in verse 64, and then we'll jump to verse 70. Living in a glass house. It says there in our Bibles in verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Now look at verse 70. Jesus answered, have I, have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? (laughs) How'd you like to be one of those 12 and Jesus say those words? One of you is a devil. I've heard parents say that about maybe one of their Children, if they have several, maybe a little more energetic than others. But this is serious stuff here. And we'll see what happens. In Hebrews 4 and verse 13, we learn that there is nothing hidden from the almighty eye of God. Everything is manifested. All things are seen. We see the truth of why the multitudes were following him. Verses 26 and 27 Jesus answered, I say unto you, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. And then again, continues in verse 27. Then again in verse 64, he also knew the deepest secrets of these folks. He knew their hearts and he also knew the ones that were the most committed to him. When the Lord looks at your life, this is where it gets real personal now. When the Lord looks at your life, What does he see? Does he see absolute commitment? 
One that is solidified in the faith because of the faith and obedience or faithful obedience you have towards God. Or does he see a life that wants the experience but lacks the commitment? The harsh truth is Jesus, God sees us just as we are. He sees us in ways that we cannot see ourselves. Nothing and no one is hidden from the gaze of God. Not Zacchaeus in that tree. Not Peter by that Roman fire. Not even the hearts of the hypocritical Pharisees. Not even Judas Iscariot, who was numbered with the twelve. You realize that Judas even deceived the other eleven guys? They did not know he was a fake initially. But our Lord knew. My friends, you and I live in glass houses. I cannot see into your heart. You cannot see into my heart. We have fruits that we produce where people can read those, so to speak. But God sees us just as we are. What does he see when he looks at you? Matter of fact, just do it this way, but you put your name in. What does God see when he looks at Matthew Gibson? Sometimes I don't like to think about that very long. I need to, and I try to, but you put your name. What is he seeing? If what you did this past week, so last Sunday up until Saturday last night, would you be going to heaven if you were to die today? need to be honest with yourself, because remember, you do not hide from God. One time I had a conversation with a man who was attempting to hide his lack of commitment. What he was doing was making excuses. And what I mean by that is, this was a young man able to do things, but uh, I don't really, it wasn't this, but I'm going to use it as an example. The churchyard needed to be mowed. He was called upon to come and help, being able to do so. And he said, no, not going to, I provided the lawnmower. So his reasoning for not helping with the work that needed to be done that day was because he provided the mower in the past. He was offering smoke screens as to why he would not work for God Almighty. Then on the other hand, I remember an elder one time looking me eye to eye. He was old. He was feeble. His health was rapidly declining. And in tears, he said, man, I need to talk to you. I said, what's wrong? He said, I've been an elder in the Lord's church for over 30 years. I've been carrying that torch and I can't do it anymore, but I just cannot find a Bible verse that tells me to lay my torch down. It was eating him alive because he felt like he was losing some of that commitment that he had to God. Do you see the difference in the two? One who would make excuse but still think they're okay versus one who doesn't know how else to go on. And we work through that, but my point being, there are folks that don't want to be committed to his will, to his work, but at the same time, they want the benefits. So here again with my saying, too many Christians want the benefits, but they do not want the burden or burdens that come in being a Christian. Brethren, if that's our attitude this morning, don't count on heaven as being our goal. He knows what lies within our hearts 
And he will hold us accountable. And then this morning, 67 through 69, every faithful follower lives the truth. Let's read that together. John 6, 67. Jesus said in the 12, here we go. Will you also go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure. Remember that. We believe and are sure. That thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. When the disciples are asked, Jesus, oh, excuse me, Peter steps up and speaks. That's not a surprise to us, right? <laughs> uh, Peter's going to speak for them, but this is a good thing here. And he expresses their total commitment. He states the fact that they know Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that he is the way to eternal life. It's not about miracles. It's not about bread and, and, and fish. It's about whom Christ is. Peter had taken a step in that day many had not or could not take. And he's taken a step that many today cannot take or will not take. Peter had made the necessary connection. Do you know what it is? By these words and these verses, he connects the words between Jesus or the words of Jesus and Jesus himself. Do you know there are religious bodies today, brethren, trying to separate those two things? To receive Christ is to receive his word. To receive his word is to receive Christ. They are always taken together. Second John, beginning in verse 9, running through verse 11. Because Peter trusted in Jesus and his word, he was able to make an absolute commitment. And so here we go as we wrap it up this morning. What was it that Peter did where we could say that he was absolutely committed? Because you may be thinking, well, Matt, you know, I come to worship services. I'm here all the time. I participate in the, the activities that go on. I teach class when I'm asked to. Uh, uh, but am I committed? Well, we're given the answer here. And this is where I said, pay attention. Verse 69. The two possessions that Peter has to make him absolutely committed is number one, faith. We believe a conviction that Jesus is whom he claims to be, his word cannot be separated. The second answer for absolute commitment is experience and are sure. Now, I already know what you're thinking. Didn't you just spend a few minutes ago fussing about people wanting an experience and not expectation? It's different here. You know, words can be used in a different way or different sense. And what I mean by difference here, when it says, and are sure, in other words, Peter is proclaiming a changed life, a full heart, a new desire, a direction in life. Now you think about some of these men that were called. They gave up their careers, their occupations to this fellow that said, hey, you guys come and follow me. And they struggled until even after Jesus died uh, and was in the grave about what this, what this was all about. And here we see him making these changes. There's nothing wrong with experience. And what I mean by that, there's nothing wrong with emotion. But it is the result of the knowledge and faithful obedience. It is not the cause or the catalyst that spurns us forward operating off our emotions. That's going to get us in trouble. Tears of joy. Tears of happiness, smiles on our faces, hugging one another when one obeys the gospel. Those are all emotions, the result of someone responding to the knowledge of God's word. 
And so Peter knew how his life had been changed and he would not walk away. I know again, there came a time of weakness in Peter's life. He had some down moments when he had failed the Lord, but he did not turn his back on Jesus because we see in uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter and the rest of the apostles stand up and they proclaim the gospel. Do you know their audience or who their audience is in Acts chapter 2? He says, you by wicked hands have crucified the Son of God. Think that was a popular message? I would say Peter's life was changed. Now, I'm not encouraging us to leave this building this morning and go out and tell everyone that they by wicked hands have crucified Jesus. They're going to look at you like you're a radical, fanatic, crazy person. But making those friendships and being concerned about souls so that we have that opportunity to teach them the gospel. Yes, he failed Jesus for a moment, but he did not walk away. Once you taste, once you walk in the light of God's glory, once you have tasted of his goodness, you will never be satisfied with substitutions and imitations. You know, I, I, I've heard, I, I think I hear it just about every time there's food served and the church is gathered together. There's a big debate between mayonnaise and Miracle Whip. Oh, you do know what I'm talking about, right? I really don't know the difference between the two, and you can throw stones at me after services. That's okay. But that's a hot topic in the Lord's church sometimes over food. And one will argue one way, and one will argue the other. Let me make it uh, real butter versus fake butter or margarine. That's another big one, right? The real thing is the only way to go. I'm learning very quickly here at Southwest, there's a much to do about coffee. Real coffee and fake coffee and limited or fake, uh, artificial, I don't know. Sugar and fake sugar. It goes on and on. We don't want the imitation. We don't want the fake stuff. We don't want the watered down stuff in our food and our likes and dislikes. Brethren, why spiritually do we want something that's watered down? Why spiritually do we want something that's fake? Why spiritually do we want anything but the truth? You shall know the truth and it shall set you free. John 8, 31 and 32. You will remember what it's like in the Father's house. What are we to think of people who do walk away from the truth? What are those who choose the way of the flesh over the way of, the flesh, uh, 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 of faith? 1 John 2 and verse 19. The Bible has the answer once again. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 10, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. We end the question this morning by going back to where we began. Will you also go away? Not everyone walks away from him. And so I encourage each of us this morning to really dig down deep inside and see that we have that absolute total commitment. Not everyone walks away. Will you? If we can help you this morning, please come while we stand and while we sing.